let me add my welcome to the Good Friday service of Gospel City Church. My name is Trent Griffith, and I have the privilege of being the pastor here. And I trust this won't be the only time that we see you on this weekend. Good Friday is good, but Sunday is better Sunday. And there's a second part of the story that we would like to emphasize on that Sunday. So if you're here for the first time or you're here all the time, welcome. Welcome to those of you that are joining us online as well. We trust that we'll get to see you on Sunday, either at 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock this Sunday. Good Friday is built into the Christian calendar to force us to think about things that we would otherwise want to avoid or trivialize. It forces us to think about death. Of course, we think about the death of Christ. It forces us to ask questions, why did Christ die? But it's more personal than that. We have to ask the question, why does anything or anyone die? Why will you die? You know, thinking about the death of your body is one of the most spiritually healthy things you can do for your soul. And if your soul's not healthy, you really need to consider the fact that your body isn't either. And both can be healed in the presence of Jesus, but we're most concerned about ultimate healing of our soul. This past year certainly has um, not allowed us to escape the subject of death. You turn on the news, you, you, you scroll your Twitter feed, and you're presented with the scorecard of death all over the planet because of the pandemic. And even if you're able to shut all of that out, inevitably, you will find yourself at some point holding the hand of a loved one who is on their deathbed, attending their funeral, visiting their graveside. That was the case for me here in the last two weeks. As a matter of fact, I'll invite you on a little journey with me 13 days ago, I was standing at Highland Cemetery in Lawton, Oklahoma, where I took this picture, which moments before I buried my mother. Last Sunday would have been her 78th birthday. And as much as there's grief and mourning, there is joy in knowing that her body is in that grave, but her soul is with her Savior in heaven. The last sermon that she heard me preach online was on heaven. As a matter of fact, her caregivers had it on a loop in those final days, reminding her of her promised future. And many of you have lost loved ones as well, or maybe you're facing your own impending death. Um, it's impossible to get away from the subject of death. You know, in those last few weeks, my mom began to carry on a conversation with me and she would ask this question. She said, Trent, do you think I'm dying? And I had to honestly say, yes, mom, but we're all dying. And we don't know how long we have. The Bible teaches us to number our days and we're all dying. Uh, she began to call her friends and family members and, and kind of shockingly, she, she would say, this is Tootie calling to let you know I'm dying. 
And that was kind of a shock to some of those friends and family members. As soon as they got off the phone with my mom, they would call me and they would say, did you know that your mom called me and told me she's dying? Is she dying? Is she dying? And I would have to have the conversation. We're all dying. And we don't know how long we have. The question is, are you ready? My mom was ready. And I would ask you the same question. Are you ready to die? In 1968, The Observer magazine dedicated an entire issue of that magazine to the subject of death, and one of the articles said this, far from being prepared for death, modern society has made the very word death almost unmentionable. We have replacement words. We, we talk about passing away. We've brought all of our talents as humans into use to avoid the prospect of dying. And when the time comes, we may react with anything from excessive triviality to total despair. Clearly, there is something imprinted in the soul of every human being that hates the prospect of dying. There is something hardwired into our consciousness that tells us we aren't supposed to die. I believe that was imprinted there. It's part of the image of God stamped into us. You know, the devil doesn't want you to think about death. If he can prevent you from thinking about death, then he will convince you the only thing you have to live for is the stuff of this world. And you'll get so attached to the stuff of this world that you will neglect thinking about the next. God wants us to think about death. And that's why over and over throughout the Bible, God wants us to know some things about death. Let's consider four things that the Bible says about death. First of all, death was not a part of God's original design. You know the story here in Romans chapter 5, it tells us sin came into the world through one man. Not through God, through one disobedient man. His name was Adam. He was the first man. He was the representative man. You may think if you had been there, you would have made a different choice. You wouldn't have. Sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. And so death spread to all men, all mankind, all men and women, because all men and women sinned. God didn't create a world with death. He created a world that was teeming with life. God created a world free from pain and disease and microorganisms that can kill you and a world free of death. And God gave that first man and woman one command, don't eat of that tree because in the day that you eat of the fruit of that tree, you will surely what? Die. And you know what they did? Exactly what your kids do when you tell them not to do something. They did the very thing they were told not to do. And ever since then, we have been dying. Sin's curse has infected all of us. We all have a terminal illness. We all have an expiration date. We're all born with a virus. It's the S-I-N virus and it's killing you. If COVID doesn't get you, something else will. Sin's curse is unavoidable. 
Second thing the Bible tells us about death is death is not the end. Death is not a wall, it's a door. Death is not the ending, it's the beginning of the next life. Mark it down, you and I will live forever somewhere. Notice Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27, it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment in the next life. I don't know how many of you are usually late for appointments. If that's characterized your life, you can be sure it will not characterize your death. You're going to show up for this appointment and you're going to be on time. You may not know the time of that appointment, but God does and he's gonna make sure you are on time. We all have a limited amount of time. And after that comes judgment. After this life and after our death, we will face judgment. Our world right now is crying out for justice and it rages when we see perceived injustices. And that's hardwired into us by God as well because one day God will settle all moral accounts either on the cross in Christ or the only other option is forever in hell. Those that are found in Christ will be judged innocent of all crimes against God. Those found outside of Christ will be judged guilty of sin and be forever separated from God in a place the Bible describes as a burning lake of fire. That's the judgment of God. Now, you remember Jesus made this famous statement to one of the most religious men on the planet. He said, Nicodemus, you, you very religious man, you must be born again. Now, it's appointed for man to die once. Jesus said you can be born twice. If you are born twice, you'll only die once. But if you are only born once, the scripture says you will die twice. You'll die the physical death when your body expires, but then you will die eternally separated from God. Death is not just the separation of the soul from the body. Death is the separation of the soul from God. And so I would ask you, have you been born again so that you will only die once? Death is caused by sin. That's the third reality that we see in Scripture about death. The cause of death is sin. Notice Romans chapter 6, verse 23. It says, the wages of sin is death. How many of you have a job? Raise your hand. How many of you receive wages for the work that you do? How many of you believe you're underpaid? I, I see those hands out there. Your wages is what you deserve for the hard work you've done throughout the week. And you expect to be paid on the other side of your work. The Bible uses the term wages for that which we deserve for the work of our sin. There will be a payday one day, and the payday is sin. You know, it's interesting. Um, yesterday, the funeral home called me that 
we used for my mom's funeral and they wanted to inform me that the, the death certificate that I was expecting this week would be delayed. And when I asked for the reason why, they said, well, the medical examiner needs more information from my mom's doctor so that he can list the cause of death. I could have speeded up the process. You just have to fill in the blank, S-I-N. Sin is the cause of death. We don't want to think about that price tag. I mean, most of us think, you know, yeah, I'm not perfect, but I, you know, I know a few people, I know a few sinners that deserve to die. I could list those people, but not me. Compared to, to their sin, mine is so much smaller. I mean, I could understand if God said the wages of sin is a timeout or the wages of sin is uh, maybe a few unanswered prayers, but the wages of sin is death. That's because we think of our sin as merely behavioral missteps. The Bible doesn't describe it that way. We sin because we are sinners. Sinners are bent away from God. Our orientation is away from God. Sinners actually want to be God. They want to control their lives. That's what God wants to do. Sinners want others to worship them. That's what God wants from you. So sin causes us to be allergic to God and addicted to self. And that creates wages of death. The sin is a declaration of war against God. And God responds to his enemies with fury. If you want to know how seriously God takes sin, you take a look at how God the Father treated God the Son on that cross. That's how seriously God takes sin. And yet we defend ourselves when God accuses us of sin. I'm like, I'm not that bad. And haven't you noticed my spouse? I mean, they've got such a worse attitude than I do. Or, or we rationalize our sin. Uh, we, we justify ourselves. We excuse ourselves. Or we'll admit we're sinners, but we'll blame it on somebody else. I mean, if you knew the way that my mom and dad treated me growing up in a home, you would understand why I'm so awful. And so we deflect and we excuse our sin rather than do the thing that God wants us to do, confess our sin, which means to agree with God about our sin, to repent of our sin, and to trust God through Christ to forgive our sin. It's the only way to be redeemed from sin. The last thing that we'll look at the Bible has to say about sin is this, death was arrested by the death of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says this, God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus died for the same reason everyone else dies, because of sin. Now, Jesus didn't die because of sin. Jesus died for sin. Here's what was happening as Jesus was on that cross. God the Father was treating God the Son as if he had committed every sin of every person who would ever believe. So that 
every person who would ever believe in Jesus could be treated by God the Father as if they had never sinned. This is the great exchange. If we could simply understand that three-letter word for, it would change our lives. Christ died for our sin in response to that truth. I will live my life for Christ. This is the response of one who is repenting of sin. Do you understand that as good as you may be, Christ still had to die for your sin? There's no person so bad that Christ wouldn't die for them. And there's no person so good that Christ didn't need to die for them. Do you understand? I am so sinful and flawed. Jesus had to die for me. And yet I am so loved and accepted. Jesus was glad to die for me. I am more sinful and flawed than I could ever dare to imagine. And yet I am so forgiven and loved more than I could ever dare to dream. And until you understand how sinful and how loved you are at the same time, you'll never understand what Christ was accomplishing on that cross. People have asked me, Trent, how you doing? I know it's been an emotional time. And I've really wrapped myself around this verse from 2 Timothy. It was the last message that I preached before I went home to see my mom go to heaven. It's this, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10. Christ Jesus abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. The gospel is the good news. We've been telling you the good news since you stepped in here. We've been singing the good news. It's Good Friday. And as Stephen said earlier, what happened to Jesus was bad, but oh, the purpose was so good. It's so that you could have your sin erased so that sin could be abolished. The word abolish there means to be rendered idle, to be rendered unemployed or inoperative. The sting of death has been removed. We're still going to die physically, but the sting of God's judgment on us is removed by the cross of Christ for all those who will believe. Jesus hated death even more than you hate death. Jesus hated death so much, he killed it on the cross. One day Jesus heard about a friend of his who had died, his name was Lazarus. It took Jesus four days to get to the tomb of Lazarus. And when he got there, two famous words recorded there in John chapter 11, it just says that Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the Bible, it's appropriate to weep when a loved one dies. And yet then Jesus said this at the funeral service. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Speaking of the second death. And then he says this, do you believe this? 
Do you understand that everything that you've heard, everything that you've absorbed in the last hour requires a response? Jesus comes to each one of us. I would come to each one of you if you would allow me and I would ask you that question. Do you believe this? Believe what? That you're a sinner? That the wages of sin is death? Do you believe that? Do you believe that what Christ did on that cross was enough to pay the penalty for your sin? Do you believe that your life is worthy of giving to Jesus Christ as a thank you to be lived in response to what he did for you? Do you believe this? It's not religious ceremony. It's not church attendance. It's not Bible reading. It's not the money that you give. And it's certainly not how well behaved you can be. It comes down to this. Do you believe this? I want to ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes for just a moment and give you a chance to respond to the question of Jesus. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Everyone who believes and believes in me shall never die. What must you do to be saved? You gotta confess, I'm a sinner. My orientation is bent away from God. I've wanted to be God. And I confess my sin is worthy of death. Why don't you open up your heart to him and tell him that if you've never done it before. If you're not absolutely certain that if you died this very moment, you would have eternity in heaven with Christ. Cast yourself upon his grace by faith. Believe in the atoning work of the cross. Jesus who died for your sin. You can tell him, say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need a savior. I trust what you've done on that cross in my place as payment for my sin. I repent of my sin. I give you my life. I surrender my all. I give you control. Thank you for saving me. Help me never to be ashamed of you. 